I'm Julie. And I'm Erica. And this is the Unshaken Book Chat. And we are so glad that you're joining us for these little mini episodes. Only 20 minutes or so long. They will each drop Thursdays from June through July, ending the last Thursday in July, which is actually next week. So you'll get one more episode specifically focused on this book, How to Be Free from Bitterness. And be sure to subscribe to the Unshaken Podcast, which drops every Thursday on an ongoing basis. And this is the main season four, focusing on living out your faith in real life. We hope you've been helped by these book chats. They've been a challenge to myself, I know, and I think Julie would say the same. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hey, we're going to start today discussing uh, the last two book chats are going to be actually four chapters. So we're going to take today and talk about chapter seven and eight. And next week we'll be talking about chapters nine and 10. So um, it's good to read those, but if you haven't read them yet, it's fabulous to just pause the podcast. That's lovely. And you can just go back and read them and then join us for the, our discussion. And you can actually do that if you've only read one of the chapters, you can do that halfway through. Okay. So today's chapter is called introspection. The first one we're going to talk about. Erica, what's the chapter summary? Well, this chapter may resonate with some more than others, particularly those who have maybe a melancholy disposition Mm -hmm. or who are contemplative. And um, it's called introspection. And what value does it offer the Christian, if any? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So let's just actually stop and pause. And that's kind of a big word. Mm-hmm. And so I love to define things. Yeah. I, I feel like we should always, I feel like I need to be the um, Webster's Dictionary. You know, we'll, we need to define it every time. So what's introspection? <clears throat> introspection is the act of meditating on one's own past actions, events, or emotions. Mm-hmm. It's a type of looking back into the past or looking inward to the self. And sometimes for a sense of security and direction, and sometimes because one just can't move on and heal. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, it makes me think of a TV show that I have watched. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like let out a little secret. Uh, One of the TV shows that I have enjoyed watching in the past few months has been a TV show called Hoarders. Now, this show is really interesting. The people on this show usually hoard, I mean, wow anything they could, like they might have 18 old vehicles in their back of their property, or they may have kept every container that they had with the, I can't believe it's not butter, you know, and they just, they just keep everything. And the reason they're keeping it is they always think I'm going to need it. Mm. I need that for my future, or I'm going to need that item. And what happens is over time, these things that are in their home start to rot, you know, and they get disgusting. And then they have to, you know, the, the city condemns the house or says it's going to get condemned if you don't clean it up. And so they have this big, it's a reality TV show. Okay. So I'm sure there's a lot to it that I'm not even, I don't even know, but it's always fascinating to me what the people keep. Mm -hmm. They keep things that I think, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. You're keeping that refrigerator stocked with food that has been in there for five years or 10 years. And it is putrid and disgusting. But I kind of get excited about this when I want to clean out a cupboard or something. I'm like, I'm going to go watch Hoarders. And then I'm going to get excited and motivated to clean out something. But I actually think this is a great illustration for what we do when we are introspective a lot. We're always holding on to things. We're always keeping a hold of things, thinking they're going to help us, but actually they begin to rot Hmm. and they end up becoming what actually makes us kind of fall apart, you know, like our house falls apart. And so I think it's good to think about this 
kind of illustration as we begin to talk about how we can deal with introspection. Mm. Like what do we need to keep? What really do we need to keep a hold of and what do we not? So mm. that's really good. Um, I think people today are encouraged, you know, talking about introspection into yourself, like to look inside yourself in order to understand who you are and right. what your purpose is. And, um, I was thinking as I was reading this even, um, and it talks about this in the book that counselors use this technique to lead people into the past in order to find the root cause of current brokenness, things sure. that are wrong in their life. And it's definitely encouraged that this will be the path to healing a lot of times. Um, I think like what you're saying, it ends up having a very different effect yeah. in people's lives. Um, and Jim Wilson uses this analogy throughout this chapter that I think is super vivid. And um, he calls introspection is like walking down into a deep, dark cellar with only a flickering candle as your guide. And in it, there in the basement, in the dungeon or the, the cellar, there are skeletons, so to speak. So these might be things done to us or things we've done, but there even are imaginations of what was done, which they can morph and change over time. So mm-hmm. um, for some, there becomes a lure to keep visiting the cellar again and again yeah. and going deeper still, but he calls it he just says, really, you're visiting old dead things. Yeah. That's kind of creepy. Um, yeah. I, I can't stand going down in like an old basement. Yeah. So I can't imagine what a real dungeon would <laughs> yes. be like. Yeah. So just to kind of put some perspective. Yeah. It's really vivid. Um, so, but this is what he says for some, they can't get past that. And there's a lure in the dungeon. And he says it's probably um, introspection, probably a major cause of depression in hmm. many people today. Yeah. Which, wow. That is sounds really accurate. Yes. I thought so too. And um, so like, what's the main danger of introspection is that it often does not really heal, but it does accuse. And so hmm. it's really good at making accusations of the guilty or going over events of the past time and time again. But the problem is that it never actually serves justice. Hmm. It never actually brings conviction. It doesn't pardon. It doesn't forgive. It doesn't redeem. And, yeah. um, accusations, I'm just kind of drawing from some of the things, pulling together some of the things he said in the book, but accusations can't heal the past of sin. No. And, um, but conviction of the Holy Spirit can, Hmm. and this is what brings about repentance and forgiveness by Christ once for all. So, yeah, it, that is really powerful to think about that illustration of going down in the dungeon, you know, revisiting it over Hmm. and over and over, you know, all those dead things. I don't want to go hang out with dead things. But I'm going to be honest that I probably have in my life. Mm-hmm. I've gone back over stories. I've gone back over hurts. I've gone back over sins mm-hmm. and felt guilty and felt sad, depressed. I recently heard a really good quote from a man named Henry Nowen. I don't know if I'm spelling, saying his name right, but oh well. A friend sent this to me as we were discussing this actual topic. Um, here's his, what he said. He said, the need to tell your story will become less pressing. You will see that you know, are no longer there. The past is gone. The pain has left you and you no longer have to go back and relive it. You no longer depend on your past to identify yourself. There are two ways of telling your story. One is to tell it compulsively, urgently, to keep returning to it because you see your present suffering as a result of your past experiences. But there is another way, he says. 
you can, he says, you can tell your story from the place where it no longer dominates you. Boy, that's interesting. Mm. And you can speak about it with certain distance and see it as a way to your present freedom. And the only way to do this is through Jesus. I mean, we can't, we can't go back through our stories, whatever they look like and stay there and live in that dungeon. We have to see it through Christ. It, I, I think it's interesting what you said at the beginning when you began to talk about the mental health capacity in the world that we're in, that a lot of counselors and even Christian counselors want you to go replay that tape over and over and over, you know, like review it. Let's see where you started in here. And Erica, it's pulling out the dungeon that's so long ago. And this does cause depression, anxiety, mental health issues, just like you said, Erica. And I think it's really good to think about because we can't let our past lives lead our future. Mm. It's like viewing the Bible through our story rather than viewing our story through the Bible. Mm-hmm. Let that one think, sink in for a minute. That's interesting to think about. Instead of saying, oh, I'm going to live out my story, like that's the big one, right? I mean, I think there might even be like stickers to put on something that says, you know, live your story or whatever. Instead, we need to live out our story through the Bible. We need to look at what the Bible says and view our story through what the Bible says. And what does God say about what's going on in our lives? One of my very favorite Bible verses ever, I've said it like I think every single episode on this podcast, is uh, the book, one of my very favorite books ever is Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says this, Now, not that I have already obtained all this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if it is anything you think otherwise, God will also reveal that to you. I just, I love this verse so much and I have used it so many times. It was like one of those little nuggets. When I want to walk into introspection, whether it's past sin or a situation or a hurt and played over and over and over again, I have to go back to that and say, wait a minute, the Bible tells me to press on. I love the quote by Jonathan Edwards and he says that he wants, always wanted to keep eternity stamped on his eyeballs. Mm. I loved that because Actually, that's what he was doing too. Yeah. I, I want to think about the, what God has planned for me. I want to think about the future of eternity in heaven and living for Christ every day and not go back. Right. And I, one thing I wanted to say as well is that, I mean, this really is the culmination of other things we've been talking about in this book that Jesus' perfect sacrifice paid the penalty for sin. It was paid by his blood, not by returning to old things, not by um, this penance that we Mm. might impose on ourselves. Um, And sin is forgiven immediately because ever since his death on the cross, Jesus' blood keeps on atoning. It keeps on cleansing. It was that one sacrifice that paid for our sin for all time when we believe in him and repent. So we've talked about forgiveness, but this ultimate forgiveness is found right here in Christ's perpetual and complete sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And if we don't take that, if we don't claim it, then we're saying it's not enough. Yeah. He didn't actually pay the penalty. And I have to keep going back to the past in order to 
do my penance. Sure. And, and that's not right. <clears throat> right. And actually, that's actually where Satan um, wants us to be. Right. He wants us to always hang out in that dungeon because right. it's always going to make us feel bad about ourselves. Right. So and we, that's we have what to live he would like is right. for us to live in, defeated lives. Yeah. In the darkness. So, okay. So Erica, what is the alternative to introspection? What can we do or where do we find the truth about this? Yeah. So he, there's two sections of scripture that are listed in first John five or sorry, first John one, five through 10, um, essentially is this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Mm, And it goes on of how we should walk in the light and have fellowship with the sun. Um, The other passage is James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So there's a focus in these verses on God being quite the opposite of a dungeon. Yes. He is light. And it's a real contrast to the dimness of our own past. We are called to walk in the light of Christ where there is no darkness at all. And he doesn't change like shifting shadows. Hmm. He is constant and sure. Amen. And I like how you said earlier about viewing our story through the Bible. Um, And it's as if when we look at it the other way, where we view the Bible through our story, it's as if we're the central character in the in the story. And I think we need to remember that God has called us out of our, our past, out of our sin, out of our own flesh and making to walk in the light with him. And, um, what if instead we let the Bible tell us who we are? What if we found our identity in who God says we are instead of finding our identity in lesser lights, which are oftentimes just straight up darkness. Yeah. And these lesser lights definitely cast shifting shadows. Yeah. That's a really good question to ask ourselves. You know, where are we finding our identity? Mm -hmm. Because if our identity is in our works or the things we do, or in that case, in our past Mm -hmm. or in our sins, we will never feel secure. Mm -hmm. But when we find it in the, in the, our heavenly father, our King, that makes, it's just a world of difference. Yeah. It also makes me think, um, how often we go back and back <laughs> and back. I'm, I'm speaking to myself right mm-hmm. here, okay? Mm-hmm. And relive things in our brains. You know, that fits into introspection. It might be that we're thinking about sins. And I know that there are listeners who have had some pretty grievous, have done some pretty grievous sins. But <clears throat> sin is sin. Or had grievous sons, done, sins done, done to, to them. You. Yeah. Or maybe it's just a, a regret of a decision you made. Like maybe you decided to homeschool your kids and then you, you changed your mind and sent them to school. And you think, maybe I shouldn't have homeschooled them. You know, maybe that uh, their academics would have been better. Or maybe the other way around. Maybe they went to school and they had some problems and you pulled them out and you thought, oh, I should have homeschooled them from the beginning. You know, we always do that. Maybe it's, I really, you quit a job, you know, five years ago and you think, oh, I should have stayed in that job. I wouldn't have this issue right now with not having the same amount of money. You know, okay, let's move on. We need to remember that God is sovereign over all of those situations, even when we make decisions, he says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so I think it's good to remember that, you know, when we make decisions like to quit a job, God can still redeem and provide for us. He can still make a plan that we can't even see. 
Um, so I think it's, it's good to walk that way. And remember, Erica, you talked about light a lot in what you just shared, which mm-hmm. I think is good. So how does the light that God provides offer differ from the light provided by introspection? Because mm-hmm. we feel like we're opening up light. You know, like the counselors will say, you know, let's get it all out on the table. Let's, let's bring all of your story out, you know, into the light, so to speak. What's right. the difference? Well, I also think even it's, it's good to mention here that this doesn't actually have to be a dark, deep introspection in the past. It could also just be an, a turning into yourself to like sure. examine That's the good. self, which is also um, something Christians should be aware of today. Um, pers- personality tests in particular, oh, like yes. the Enneagram or um, Myers-Briggs, there's a lot that can be said about this, and I would encourage you to be discerning and um, look That's its own them. episode, yes, dear. Maybe even its own season. Okay. <laughs> yes, and I won't go into that much except to say that um, these, these are man-made tools, yeah. and modern Christianity seems to be really embracing this as an equivalent tool to the Bible. I'm seeing Bible studies on the Enneagram. I'm yeah. seeing all kinds of things like that. Um, I don't know if you are too, Julie, yep, but sure um, we need to be All weary. kinds of books, like yeah. all over the bookstores are books on this. Wildly popular right now. Yeah. And um, we as Christian women need to remember that our identity is not found in a man-made tool. And it is from God's word and spending time with God. And so again, I, I said earlier, um, wh- who does God say that we are? And to not let some construct define us and be put into this category that we operate out of. So um, he gives an example in Isaiah um, chapter 6, where Isaiah is just struck outright Mm. by God's awesomeness, and God's calling him to do something very difficult, but he gives him this vision of his holiness. And um, Isaiah, it's the part where he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean Mm. lips. And um, it wasn't introspection, Jim Wilson makes the point, that actually causes Isaiah to be conscious of his sin. It is being in the presence of God that made him Mm. conscious of his sin. So when he was in the light of God's word, in the light of God's glory, he could not deny what that light was saying about his humanity. He knew he needed Jesus. He knew he needed a savior. And um, I guess that is where we get back to like, the, what light is shining into your life? Is it a dimly lit shadow, mm. a man-made structure, or is it truly the Word of God, the holiness of God, um, calling us to live before Him rightly? Mm. So, um, Also, our accuser, we talked about this a little bit earlier, does not want anyone mm. forgiven. Yep, He would like to keep all of us in dimly lit shadows. So, yeah, I, I actually, um, I think that it's really important, Erica, to think about how to walk away from introspection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we really didn't talk about that in the, the chapter didn't give a ton of specifics, but um, I think uh, that it's good to talk a little bit about that. Mm. Um, so I was thinking that a couple of things that, have, that I think are good when you want to get away from introspection, I think it's good to talk to God about it, right? And share, where, pray asking God to give you wisdom and direction. And then I think it's good to talk to someone else, not about what you're going over, but about that you're struggling with introspection. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to get someone on your team to walk alongside of you and to support you and encourage you because we all probably have gone through this where we've gone over and over and over something and it's never really good for us. 
And that also gets it out in the light, right? When you, when you tell a, a sister in Christ what you're going through or your husband, that'd be another good one. Yeah. Um, and I also think something that you did that I thought was interesting is um, a long time ago, Erica, on one of our first episodes um, that we did in season one, which by the way, was super fun. Uh, <laughs> I still remember that um, because we were all new to this, you know, Yeah. Um, we talked about journaling mm-hmm. and you actually um, have a really cool uh, business that your family does. Mm-hmm. And I think you told me then that it was a lot of your kids. Yeah. It's a really good business. And tell us a little bit about that business. And then I want to ask you about journaling. Well, I, I've just been a lifelong journaler. I'm super introspective. And so this, this, uh, chapter definitely, um, yeah. things I've learned and things I'm still learning, uh, and things I didn't know. So it's been good, but, um, yeah, we make leather journals. Um, my husband kind of started it as a skill and a craft that our kids could learn. And it's just ironic that I'm the journaler and I'm like, <laughs> wow, you started a journal business. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And, yeah. And they're beautiful. Um, we're going to put that information in our show notes, just in case you want to go check out oh, Sense and Leather. And then also something interesting, Erica, you know, journaling is something that our world, well, I would say like the United States, especially I've never been anywhere else. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so I'm not going to say our world, but the United States is really big on journaling. Mm. Like, you know, write down your story. How does that fit in and how can we, we deal with that when, when we're trying to get away from introspection, what do you do? Well, I personally, and some, some people I, I know personally, um, I'm looking at a variety of situations where you may have come out of something very difficult and, um, that journal is evidence of that time. Hmm. So I, I know a friend who held on to a journal of very difficult times and would go back to it again and again because it reminded her of why she was broken and why okay. she was hurt. And how did she use that journal? Well, I saw personally thought that she used it to nurse the wound. Uh, and, um, would she return to it? Yes. Returning to it. And at that point, it seemed like if Christ has set us free, yep. then let's be free of it. Yes. Um, and I personally have gone through difficult times where I let myself journal everything, every thought, every angry uh, emotion. Um, and at the end of that time, it happened to be a book I was working through. I, I did burn the book. Um, mm. I burned my journal. I burned it all because it was a process I was working through and I did not need to carry that badge around. Mm. I felt like, no, God's going to cleanse this and heal me. Mm-hmm. And he did. And yeah. so I'm not saying it's just that cut and dry, but I think like, do we treasure that or do, are we willing to say, no, Christ can conquer this. So it's kind of how you use your journal. Yeah. Do you use it for God's glory? Do you use yeah. it to work forward, to move on through difficulties or are you using it, like, I love the word you said, to nurse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nurse mm-hmm. a wound and keep going back to it. I, I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, it's also interesting because one of the very most famous journalers is in the Bible, mm-hmm. and that's King David. That's great. I, he wrote a ton. The Psalms are really just his journals, mm-hmm. right? His prayers. So um, how does David look at sin in his life? And it, it references Psalm 139. Um, what do you think, Erica? Yeah, that's probably a passage so many of us recognize where it says, Search me, O God, and know Mm. my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, 
look, there's introspection here. David is introspective um, in his Psalms. And, but the end is, is the end. Mm. Um, it's, this is a means to an end. It is not the end in itself. So the introspection is not where we hang out and dwell. It's right. what's supposed to lead us on to the way that is everlasting. A, a step. Yeah. So lead me into the light, lead me out of the basement and mm. into the freedom of mm. fresh air, sunshine, new life. Um, and really it has to be a constant prayer. I think to teach me who I am in you set, I've been set free into a new identity. I don't have to wear this anymore. Right. This old cloak, um, because I'm a new creation. Amen. Christ. Amen. Well, before we jump into our next chapter, which is chapter eight, what's kind of like the ending theme that you feel like if you walked away, what would be like the thing? Like we had different year, different chapters. We had different themes, mm-hmm. like how to be free from bitterness. The first chapter we said, bitterness remembers. Yeah. Like I still remember that. that and good. the second one had, we had different ones all the way along huh. that have stuck out. What, what about this one? Uh, I think this one he boils down to look up and not in. And mm. it sounds trite, but it is truly where hope and deliverance is found. It's in the light of Christ. Amen. I love simplicity. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to remember something, you know, mm-hmm. look up, not in. I-, I could walk away. And then when I'm starting to feel that way later on, I can go, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa, I remember look up, not in. And I need to remember that. It's probably also because my memory is so bad. I can't even remember what I need at the grocery store. So (laughs) it's got to be short and sweet. Right. Okay. So Erica, we're going to jump into chapter eight. Chapter eight is called relationship with parents. Now we're both in a different stage where we're both these things. Mm -hmm. We're a parent and we're also a child. So this chapter is really interesting. Um, The author wrote that this actually was this particular chapter, this essay and the first essay we had in the book on how to be free from bitterness both of those essays are the most popular in this whole series. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. He gets the most questions, the most letters about these two chapters. So um, I guess we probably all, we don't all have good relationships with our parents. And I'm sure that there are some people listening today that don't even have a relationship anymore with their parents because they walked away from them or maybe they're struggling as a parent loving on their kids, you know. So we're going to talk today about what the Bible actually says um, about this topic, you know. Yeah. So, so um, some of the scripture references are Deuteronomy chapter five, eight through ten, and um, Malachi four, five, and six. Okay. Um, but just focusing here on Deuteronomy, uh, the last section says that I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Hmm. What does God promise to those who love him and keep his commandments? Yeah. So in this verse, it's just showing love to a thousand generations Wowzers. of those who love me and keep my gen- my commandments. Sorry. Yeah. That's, um, that's a lot. Yeah. That's astounding. <laughs> and you know, the, the punishment is to the third and fourth. So you have three and four generations, but to love and obey is a blessing to a thousand. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. He asked the question, what needs to take place to stop the mm. sins of the father from being passed on from one generation to the next? In Malachi 4 that I mentioned, Julie, what do you yeah. see there? Well, there, there's a really important thing that Malachi tells us. He directs the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to the fathers. So 
that's a heart issue, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about that every single week. Mm-hmm. Every one of these big challenges we've talked about on this book chat have had to do with our heart issue. We can't change our outsides. We have to start in the heart. Um, and I think that's really important. And, and that's what we have to do right now is we have to clean up the inside of our hearts, which the only way to do that is through Christ and the work that he does. It has to be a heart work. Yep, for sure. And, um, in classic Jim Wilson form, there are some very <laughs> specific channels of instruction that he gives us to help follow uh, mm. in order to have a help relationship with our parents. Um, interestingly, he says that in order for the curse to stop, hearts must turn both ways. Yeah. So um, if you're a Christian parent, turn your heart toward your parents and turn your heart toward your children. So I like how he he's not just saying, children turn your hearts to your parents and parents turn your hearts to your children. He's not just going one way. He's going both directions. For us, we have an impact on our children if we have them and an impact on our parents. We we look down and we look up Mm -hmm. and it's just the vantage point of um, doing all that you can as much as is possible with right. you in these relationships. Okay, so then that leads me to think, what enables us to turn our hearts towards our father or our mother? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of a tricky one. What do you think? Right. Um, just the commands, like, uh, let's see, Deuteronomy 5, 9, and 16, he references. But 16 says, Honor your father mm. and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Um, so it's a command, first of all, and we know that God enables us to obey his commands. Sure. Um, but there's also a promise with it that our lives will be blessed when we honor them. And, you know, he goes into talking about not everyone is honorable. Mm. Not everyone has, yep. uh, been worthy of respect. And that's really not the litmus test of whether we're to honor our father and mother or not. We are called to show honor. And uh, I just love the practical aspects of how he works through doing that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Not everyone is, you know, someone that we feel like should be honored. Right. And I'm sure there's listeners today who have parents who have not done right things. Right. Or have been hurtful or have done something. And yet the command is not there's no uh, stipulations that if this is the case, you don't have to. Right. It's basically honor your father and your mother as the Lord commanded you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a really good point, Erica. And the Malachi verse that I referenced earlier just brings up the fact that he will turn, God will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Mm-hmm. He's the one who works in our hearts, right? Mm-hmm. He's actively um, coming in and changing hearts. And so maybe we are respecting a father or a mother who we don't really feel like is worthy of respect. The only person who's going to change our father or mother is God. Mm -hmm. So we can then go to God and pray, asking him to give us strength to respect our parents, to honor them, and then also pray for our parents. Mm -hmm. And that is probably true on the other end too. Mm -hmm. If we have a child who is not being very respectful, I mean, I know for myself, if I have a kid who's not respectful in my home, I can, you know, I can get mad at them. I can, which doesn't really work on a side note. I can, you know, talk about it to all my friends. I can, you know, make a list of all the ways that they need to be respectful and give them more jobs to do, but it's a heart issue. So none of that stuff works if their heart isn't changed. So the number one best thing I think we can do is pray. Mm. 
Yeah, okay, so I may have jumped ahead because here are some steps. Okay, so some steps toward developing a heart of repentance. Well, actually, let me, um, actually, Erica, jump into this and let me just read directly from the book these um, little three steps that he gives. Ha, huh, they're little three steps. They're not little three steps at all. These no. three steps that he suggests. And then I'm going to let you share what you think about them because I think it's helpful to kind of think through how you do them. Okay, so number okay. one, um, if you want to change this, right? We're talking about how we're going to change um, and get a heart of repentance. Number one, become a Christian. Without a conversion to Christ, it is impossible to love and obey God. Right. Um, I love the line in this essay, which reads that as a Christian, you have unlimited access to love and forgiveness. Mm. This is true. This is true. Do we believe this? <laughs> Amen. Do we live like we believe this? And um, we have unlimited access to love and forgiveness. But if you are not a Christian, it is impossible, the, the word of God says, to love and obey God. So if you're not a Christian, is that something that you want? Unlimited access to love and forgiveness. And this is what New Life in Christ offers, and it's amazing. Yeah, and, and New Life in Christ is realizing that you're a sinner, which we've talked about on this podcast the whole time. Right. Like, And then crying out to God. And the a great place to start with that is to jump into your local church. Mm -hmm. Find a church in your local area. Um, you can you can message me at Unshaken Psalm 622 at gmail.com and I would be happy to help you find a church because it's it's important to be in a church that is going to teach you and walk alongside of you through these things. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, Erica, number two, marry a Christian. That's okay. easy. That's easy, but Maybe. <laughs> it could be unsettling to someone who is yes. already married to an unbeliever. Um, so the Bible speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 about how to navigate marriage um, that is an unequally mm -hmm. grounded marriage. So if you're a believer and your spouse is not, I first want to say there is always hope. Um, mm -hmm. But yes. if you have not mm -hmm. yet married, then this is a critical choice. So to be bound together in marriage is bolstered strongly um, in your ability to raise godly offspring mm -hmm. if you're founded in Christ. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, it's certainly a different kind of work um, yep. when you're unequally yoked. Yeah. And I will say that I grew up in a home where my mother was a steadfast believer, and I'm not sure where my dad was. Mm -hmm. But out of that, I am a Christian. And mm -hmm. actually, out of the five of my brothers and sisters, four of us are following God. Mm -hmm. So I say, don't be discouraged. But it is different. Mm -hmm. There is a, a, a different kind of work that happens and keep praying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number three was stay married. That's what Jim Wilson says. Yes. So, um, again, for those women who have been divorced or are married to a man who's not a believer, God offers provisions for you. Um, yep. so search the scriptures and see what a believing wife can do. Um, it talks about, she sanctifies her home. And mm -hmm. if your husband's willing to remain married, then God's word says to stay married. First uh, Peter 3 also tells wives in this situation to have a gentle and quiet spirit and to display godliness and love through actions. Mm -hmm. And this in itself may win him to Christ. Also for a woman who is divorced, um, 1 Corinthians 7 offers direction and wisdom. And God is not finished with you. But I encourage you to obey God um, and take him at his word, which you will be hard-pressed to hear in the world to be obedient to God in this, this way. So search again and find what is his identity for you in this and, and what does he call you to do? Mm. Um, but really this wisdom about 
marry a Christian, stay married, um, is for women who are at a crossroads of decision, um, that they would honor God to first marry a Christian and then fight for their marriage to stay married. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's good, good advice. And actually biblical advice, Hmm. you know, I love that you gave women some specific chapters to go back to and look because even in divorce or difficult marriages, unbelieving spouse, the Bible actually talks about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not silent. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to remember to use the Bible and go back to it. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting that um, Mr. Wilson recommends writing a letter mm-hmm. focusing on the four things uh, confessing, rebelliousness to your parents, speak that you respect your parents, tell them how much you love them, and express gratefulness to them. Uh, I think those are four things that are really, wow, they each need their own letter probably, but they're powerful to just even say them and read them out loud to all of you listening. I'm going to read them again. Yeah. Confessing rebelliousness to your parents. Speak that you respect your parents. Tell how much you love them and express gratefulness to them. Mm. Those are pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I think that is such a practical and tangible thing to do. Um, if you know that you need to make reparations with your parents, um, and who would not love to receive such a letter? There is not one person I could imagine that would not love to receive a letter like that. And what an unconditional offer of honor and love, regardless of the past. Um, I, I would think this would be a powerful way of turning hearts of parents and children towards each other. Not a surefire way, but a step, especially if you have a strained relationship, um, a definite step that would, you know, really cause a change in the landscape yeah. of the relationship. I, I really love to write things down, um, especially if I'm struggling through and with somebody. But I love this application because this isn't a list of all the things that your parents have done wrong. Mm-hmm. This is a letter saying, I love you. Mm-hmm. I respect you. I'm choosing to respect you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry for all the things I've done. And I am thankful for all these things that you've done. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we really literally think about the things that have happened in our lives, I'm pretty sure we can come up with ways we could be thankful for our parents. That's true. Um, I love the final words that Jim Wilson gives. And there's really, when he says there's really two problems when we have issues with our parents, he says one is the heart problem and the second is the action problem. But we have to start with the heart problems. And I love that he encouraged people in action in regard to their parents too. Mm -hmm. He said, it's never too late and you can actually not afford to wait. Um, I know that, you know, I actually will share my dad died 10 years ago. He was a really good man. Um, but he didn't really teach me directly about God or Jesus. Um, and he didn't really encourage me to go to church. He did go to church with us on Sundays though, but he did teach me how to work hard and the importance of learning. He was a high school teacher. So Mm -hmm. that was important. But I will say this, I know that my brothers and my sisters and I have all walked through different relationships with my dad. And I'm guessing this is probably true for each and every one of our listeners. You know, it's interesting how I probably got the best part of my dad. I'm the bottom, I'm the baby mm-hmm. out of five kids. Um, my dad made more money when he got to me, right? Um, we had more time because there was no little kids younger than me. And he loved the things that I did. He was happy that I was involved in some sports and did some things like that. And so um, that was a really good relationship. I had a good relationship with my dad. But I will say that I don't know my older brothers and sisters all had the same type of relationship. 
And um, I think it's important that we remember that we're all in different spots, right, in our families. And that's just true if you are a parent, too, because our kids all have different spots. They get different, different moms and dads all the way along because we morph and change. Um, and I think we just have to remember that in our families, you know, you may have a sibling who's really angry with your parents and you may be thinking, what are you doing? Why are you so mad? I love my mom or I love my dad. But actually, their spot in the family might be different. And I think we have to remember to give our brothers and sisters grace. We have mm-hmm. to speak some truth sometimes and pray for them. And then also try to be more of a helper is what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Then be so mad at someone because they aren't in the best relationship with, you know, we have to think about where they were, kind of think about what, what their story was in the family, help them to focus and get moved on. Right. We don't want to live in the past. Uh, I just think that's important. Hmm. I never really thought of what you just said before, Julie. That's really interesting. And, um, yeah, I'm thinking of my own children have gotten different versions of me and my husband from the first to the last. And, um, I guess, yeah, like you said, the same can be true for how our parents raise us and our siblings. And if we obey God's command to honor and respect, that really can carry us through many troubles. Amen. And again, because it originates and is possible because of our trust in God. Yep. Um, so I thought this was a great chapter on how to turn your heart towards your parents. Uh, the next chapter is about how to turn your heart toward your children. Mm. And it's a great one. Yep. And we will uh, jump into that one on our next episode of the book chat and that's going to be dropped next week and actually we're going to be doing chapters 9 and 10 so we'll actually be finishing up the book uh, next week there is a chapter a couple more chapters in the book but we're not going to be discussing those um, on the podcast they don't directly relate to women that's part of it Mm -hmm. but I think you're going to definitely want to join us for next week's episodes and don't forget to join us for our regularly scheduled Unshaken episode which drops right along with this particular book chat every Thursday. Remember that when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress because of God. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.